Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. My name is Brayden. I'm here with my co-host and handsome fellow indeed, Ethan. Happy to be here. And this is match week 27. And a, a, a match week 27 that I said could go chalk, but I knew wouldn't. And it indeed did not, as the Premier League typically likes to disobey what I tell it to do. But we will get into all that in just a second. First off, something happened on Sunday that, um, you know, for all those who celebrate in America, was probably a pretty big deal. Selection Sunday for the uh, for the NCAA March Madness uh, 64 team bracket was on Sunday. My Indiana Hoosiers getting a four seed playing, I believe, Kent State in the first round, which I'm praying that they don't. They don't lose to Kent State because that that would be embarrassing for all twenty thousand undergrad of us. But who do you got this year? Ooh, I have not done a lot of research yet. I think I'm gonna do that over the course of this week. Uh, I do like Alabama a lot. They're probably one of the hottest teams in the country. Okay. Uh, I don't like Purdue because they usually choke when they're <laughs> a high seed, and that seems to be what a lot of people are saying. Um. I've done, I've done a bit of research. Unfortunately, from some of the articles I've read, Indiana is up there amongst those who could be upset in the first round. But yeah, they <laughs> but just because they lost to Penn State in the uh, in the Big Ten tournament, yeah. who, which was an upset. Um, and, and they always what the only thing you could really go off of when you do your brackets is like form, essentially. Like mm-hmm. you don't uh, and like they I know the committee takes into account like games you won in the beginning of the season, but honestly, it after like January, like before January, it really does not matter. Yeah. Like you could have beaten like the top like five top 10 opponents in October and nobody gets a shit. Yeah. Or November. <laughs> like um but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Indiana didn't have a great Big 10 tournament. They won the game they should have won. And lost the game they also should have won, so that's probably why. But for those taking advice from this podcast, I wouldn't. Um, when it comes, to, at least when it comes to uh, March Madness picks. But that being said, they should get by Kent State. Miami's a different issue, but I, I back my my Hoosiers to get by Kent State. That's what I'll say. And if they don't, then you can come back to my podcast and rate it one star, or whatever you want to do. And with that, we'll move on to some actual non-March Madness related football related content what you all came here to listen to starting off with the worst team wins update if you are unfamiliar with the worst team wins update it goes like this it is a season-long competition between me and ethan where before the season we drafted snake draft style a team of 80 million pounds worth of fpl players each making up a team of 11 that would perform the worst throughout the course of the season rather than the best throughout the course of the season and whichever team performs worst throughout the course of the season wins ethan hit us with the update so this week was another pretty close week which has been happening more often recently i'd say my team garnacho cheese had 27 points this week while brayden's team jesus died for our top bins had 25 points so brayden gets the edge by two this week uh my only real performer was one of his first good fpl performances of the season richarlison uh, no, no goals for him, unfortunately, which I, uh, fellow top six rival fan will also clown on social media, but he did play well. He did have 
both an assist and he won a penalty, which of course in FPL does count as an assist. Other than that, not too many points from my team. And for Braden, pretty much his only points came from an early Holland goal and John Stone's clean sheet. All right. Not not bad. Baby steps. Two points two points a week will get me within respectable distance coming into the year. And oh, the, no. the season totals, <laughs> uh, which is going to humble Braden, for my team is 825 points. And for Braden, 972. So okay. I think you're going to need at least some infant steps. <laughs> sure. Rather you than baby get steps. get toddler steps in there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this week... Considering there were no standout games to kind of focus all of our attention to, we are going back to a TMW original way to cover the the Premier League, and that is the 90 seconds per team method. It will go like this. Usually we do this alphabetically. This week we did it game by game as they finished chronologically um, last weekend, starting off with Bournemouth-Liverpool and ending with, I believe, Wolves-Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And we'll go team by team, 90 seconds each. Every team gets their time in the sun. Every team gets criticized. Shall we begin? We shall. Let me pull up a timer to make sure we stay honest. All right. Starting off in three, two, one, and Bournemouth one, Liverpool nil. Starting off with Bournemouth. What a victory for 20th place Bournemouth. They gain the almighty 20th place superpowers that many teams in the bottom six have uh, had the betterment of. Solanke was fantastic as well as Autara. Um, and they showed that they have some resolve in them, Ethan. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, they, they showed it against Arsenal last week, but obviously it didn't end the way they wanted to, but they certainly showed that they can be highly dangerous on the counterattack, and that was certainly the case against Liverpool. Like you said, Solanke and Otara were just running in behind all game. Eventually, Otara combined with Billing for the goal, but Solanke definitely could have gotten himself on the score sheet one or two times. And like you said, for some reason, teams that start bottom of the league <laughs> tend to do pretty well. I just saw a stat that they average 1.44 points per game this season. Yes. 20th place teams which so, is unbelievable yeah that's a crazy stat which is more than any other team in the bottom half so yeah billing two game goal scoring streak yeah How about the billing kid? yeah three two one we move on to the other half of this game liverpool after one of the most impressive performances by any premier league team this season not only do they lose to 20th place bournemouth but it's a 20th place bournemouth team that they trounced 9-0 earlier this season at anfield who could have seen this coming other than the very handsome man sitting in front of you Ethan? <laughs> <laughs> i said precisely that this would happen because of course the liverpool newton laws state that every action that liverpool has positively has an equal and opposite reaction negatively <laughs> And this, of course, was that equal and opposite reaction. They beat Man City earlier this year. Guess what? Next week, lost to Nottingham Forest away. This is kind of what happens for Liverpool. We call them the Big Six Crystal Palace because that's what they are. <laughs> and they continue to shell that last weekend. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe you predicted this one. Uh, <laughs> but for some reason, it's what history dictates. Another crazy stat I saw is that no team, a team has been beating 9-0 four times in Premier League history, and every time those teams played again, the team that won 9-0 never won, which is interesting. Unbelievable. But back to Liverpool, 
yeah, like you said, the inconsistency is crazy. They have been on good form recently, and you could say that this one performance in the Premier League was a bit, you know, a bit out there. But if you're looking at Liverpool over the course of this season, again, the inconsistency is there for all to see. You know, last week, everyone almost has Liverpool as like a lock to overtake Tottenham, but now, much different. Moving on to Everton, Brentford. Everton take all three points, one to zero. Starting the timer, we start with Everton. Everton take all three points, obviously, as I just said, which is fantastic for a team, again, in the bottom six. I it just feel like this bottom six race is, is just one of the best we've seen in recent years. It usually is just a competition between four. It's it's like a nine-team mega race It's nine. Point. There's nine teams <laughs> in, in this relegation uh, battle. It's crazy. And yeah. Everton are just another one of those teams that continues to impress, dare I say, in, the, in this bottom six. Um, Sean Dyche, obviously, being a Sean Dyche man, uh, picking up the uh, solid, like rigid performances that he had at Burnley, bringing that over to Everton, and they were good for more than one goal in this game, and which is a testament to how good they were considering Brentford's form this year. So, yeah, what do you got to say about Everton? Well, this is the game, of course, where I will take my praise because I did predict <laughs> this exact scoreline: Everton one, Brentford nil. And it played out pretty close to how I expected with Brentford, again, not being able to play on the counterattack. And they didn't really produce much. They really just couldn't break down this Everton team. Like you said, Everton were good for three or four in this game. Damari Gray was unlucky not to have that goal ruled out by VAR. Yes, it hit his hand, but it didn't really change the fact that it was going in anyway. Um, Onana missed from point blank, blank range, so did the Wobie. So, yeah, Everton at home, something about them this season. Moving on to Brentford. Uh, Brentford lose one nothing at <clears throat> Everton. Conceded after the first minute to Dwight McNeil. As, you know, what are you going to do when you play Sean Dyche and Dwight McNeil? You're going to concede to Dwight McNeil or a Dwight McNeil assist. Anyway, they lose uncharacteristic for them this season i will say because they usually put in better performances than they did against everton again everton were good for a couple um but they sit one point ahead of chelsea in ninth with a game at hand and if you look back at the brentford season what they were kind of poised to do this season it would take some serious undoing for them to be upset with how their season has gone so far no ninth place is absolutely anything more than they could have hoped for i think a lot of People were worried about a possible second season syndrome for Brentford. They didn't do that much in in the summer, and they did lose Ericsson, which was such a big boost to them second half of last year. But yeah, they definitely have to be happy with where they're at. This is the end of a 12-game unbeaten run for them, which of course had to come to an end at some point. But it just shows how consistent they've been over the course of this season. And to be there one point back of Fulham with two games at hand. So you have to imagine that they overtake Fulham in 8th place, and 8th place for Brentford, they can't ask for much more. It's tough to play away at Everton. I don't think too many Brentford fans are going to get Ten hung up on this performance. So, yeah, they got to keep their heads up. Yeah, yeah, and again, usually their their goal scorers weren't firing today like Ivan Tony. So, you know, it happens. They're not going to be a, a ridiculously <clears throat> prolific team. Leeds 2, Brighton 2, starting off with Leeds. Timer starts now. Leeds, not a bad result for Leeds to take a point off Brighton. I think they might have even chalked this one up as a loss, even at home. 
considering the form Brighton are on and the form Leeds are on. Um, but they, you expected not necessarily a new manager bounce, but Jesse Marsh's leads were not performing great, and you'd think that they would kind of convex their form up a little bit, and uh, it, it hasn't really been that way. They've been kind of consistently just it, it it almost seems like jesse marks wasn't the the, <laughs> the problem yeah. it was more just the fact that their squad is very weak um but who would have thought that right um but a point in the relegation battle is perfectly okay point per game again in the re- relegation battle usually works out for you um but again with nine teams in this relegation battle like it's just so hectic and every single goal matters again these like I think I said it last week where like two, two draws in the relegation battle. Like you, when a, when a relegation threatened team scores two goals, hope they'd hope to take three points from the game just because it's so hard to come by in the long run. And to draw this game is, is probably unlucky. Yeah. Uh, like, like you said, with in a nine team relegation battle, you don't have to worry too much about dropping points because you're always just right in it. And leads, they're surviving, not thriving. And that's pretty much what every single team <laughs> yeah. from 20th to 12th is doing right that's now. Like- Nobody's playing that well. But as long as you're not completely falling behind the pack, you're never really out of it. So Leeds, uncharacteristically for a relegation battle, have a bit of time to figure things out. And move on to Brighton, who draw 2-2 at Leeds. Probably unlucky not to get three points. They They would have felt that going to Leeds, especially in the form they're on, especially in the form Brighton's in. They probably should be taking all three. However, um, they they did score two goals, and they were their fluid selves, but they obviously leaked two at the back to a team that, you know, they really shouldn't be conceding two, 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 two on this form. Um, but, yeah, for Brighton are not necessarily top four contending, and if you're top four contending, maybe you, you kick yourself over this, but a, a draw in this game, again, is not detrimental to where they want to be. Yeah, it's exactly like you said. They're in seventh right now. You're not going to win every game. A draw is not the worst result. And they certainly pass the eye test as they do you know, pretty much every week. Yeah. Uh, the two goals they conceded, Bamford scored off of a deflected shot from range. Not too much you can do about that. And then the Jack Harrison goal was just a moment of quality. Sometimes there are mm. just some goals you can't really defend against. So Britain really shouldn't be too down on themselves. They have a good matchup next week against... Uh, Crystal Palace team that still hasn't won this year so they'll be looking forward to that game and yeah, you know, getting back on the winning trail yeah yeah I mean again as uh, anytime I can give credit with 10 seconds left anytime I can give credit to the Zerbi even in a in a 2-2 draw there are a lot of teams that especially at Leeds um with when they like kind of have those moments of quality and Leeds is like rigid when, when Leeds go into their like rigidity at the back it's very tough to even take a point there um, but again, Deserby is doing very well with this team, and never really, really know what you're gonna get from them. Uh, moving on, Leicester City one, Chelsea three. Leicester City probably upset nowadays to be uh dropping points to Chelsea Football Club, but that being said, they have not picked up a single point since steamrolling Tottenham Hotspur for nothing. They have lost four games in a row. They are one of three teams, I believe the other two are Nottingham Forest and Crystal Palace, to not have a single win in their last four games. They're currently sitting 16th, but only above the drop zone on goal differential. So at one point when we said after a couple of nice wins, especially that Spurs one, we were like, okay, City looks like they are on their way 
to kind of catapulting themselves out of this mega uh, relegation battle. Now they have slipped their way back into it. Are they back in trouble, Ethan? Well, if you look at the table, you'd have to say yes. But like we've said so many times on this podcast, with nine teams in there, you just have to be not the worst. And in my opinion, there's just too much quality for Leicester to lose out to clubs like Leeds or Southampton or Bournemouth. Uh, but nonetheless, they, the results have to turn around because these are just not good performances. Yeah, Mind you, they're playing Chelsea at an unfortunate time where Chelsea are just seeming to you know, find their groove. Uh, and there were times in this game where Leicester looked promising. After they equalized, they had a solid five, six minutes where they really were definitely on the front foot, massing with a good chance from a free kick, uh, where they definitely could have gotten a go-ahead goal, but they didn't take advantage of that, and it's another loss for them. So they have to stay weary, but I'm not too worried. Chelsea Football Club get all three points at the King Power. Uh, maybe too early to say, but Chelsea potentially could have their swagger back. I don't think they do. I would like to see a little bit more consistency out of them. Um, but the real sadness from this game, and I think a lot of non-Chelsea fans will agree with me, is that unfortunately through a, a very, should I say, weak assist, Mikhail Mudrick avoids the double, 007 claims. After two two match weeks, we were waiting for him to get subbed in to get the 007. He finally comes in and actually gets a goal and an assist. I am just unbelievably upset. I will not be consoled in any way. But, Ethan, say whatever you want about this. Yeah, credit where credit is due. Grandfather absolutely masterminded Mudrick beating the 007 <laughs> uh, allegations. Because he saw where Chelsea were at. And with Mudrick being on six games, no goals or assists, he's saying, okay, until, until we get a really nice run of form and you know the team is looking good and cohesive, we're not going to play Mudrick. We, we, can, <laughs> we do not need the 007 right now. So he waited. Chelsea got on a bit of a hot streak, beat Leeds, beat Dortmund. He said, okay, Mudrick against a you know, sputtering Leicester side, this is your chance. We're looking good now, and Mudrick got it. So you, know, you have to feel up disappointed from a rival fan's perspective, but <laughs> you know, for Mudrick, he's, he'll definitely be relieved. There is only one 007, and that is Jane Sancho. <laughs> so. Three, two, and one. We move on to... Spurs 3, Forest 1, starting off with Tottenham Hotspur, who take all three points against Forest. Kane, once again, backpacking this team to another victory. What would Spurs do without him? Two goals for Kane on the day. Interesting Kane stat that not many people are, are talking about. Kane, the notorious playmaker he is, having won the, I believe he won the top assist playmaker last season, uh, has two assists this year playing almost every league game. Why is that? Because nobody else on Tottenham Hotspur can score a goal. <laughs> Usually it's Kane to Son. Son has six league goals. Should it be Kane to Richarlison, one of their top signings from the summer? No, he has zero league goals. Kulishevsky has two league goals, partially because he's missed so many games and partially because nobody else can score but Harry Kane. Equal with Eric Dyer and Ben Davies. Ben Tonkor is on five goals. And, and Ben Tonkor is out for the season. <laughs> and he's out for the season. There is literally nobody else in this Spurs team that is scoring goals. And it is remarkable that they have done so well, so well this season. They are in the top four contention race with one player scoring goals. It is unbelievable. And maybe we should be giving Conte a little bit more credit. Yeah, I mean, Conte never 
gets enough credit in my opinion. He every, every time Tottenham put in a poor performance, I feel like he's being scrutinized once again. And I like Conte because he kind of just says things how they are. He's like, "Listen, I don't know what you expected from me in, you know, <laughs> a year and a half with this Tottenham team. Like I'm not going to be able to make this team, you know, title contenders or even trophy contenders." You know, within a year and a half, he's like, give me some time. And yes, he's certainly done a lot with what he has. And if Conte is a top quality coach, he's proved that time and time again. If they give him time, he is a serial winner and he will find a way. Or maybe not. It's still Tottenham. But (laughs) they've (laughs) got no better options. Nottingham Forest, who, like I said before, are one of three teams in the league, along with Palace and Leicester City, to not have a win in their last four. Um... They had this nice run of form like eight, seven, eight games ago, and then they've hit this little bit of a wall where they've crept back, obviously, into this nine-team relegation battle. Um, we, yeah, I don't know what we're really expecting out of this Forest team. Maybe they're just, they just come down off of their high a little bit, but certainly this performance was not um, one of a team that is comfortably out of the relegation battle. Yeah, they're certainly r- right still in there, but they're definitely doing enough to keep themselves afloat because what they are doing is beating the other relegation, you know, battlers. They've lost, obviously, just lost to Tottenham, uh, but they've, they didn't drop points against Everton. I'm sure they would have liked to win that, but they didn't drop points at the very least. And when they were on that, you know, bit of a hot streak, they were beating, you know, Leeds, Southampton, those teams. And if you're beating the other teams in the relegation zone, then you're putting yourself in a good spot. And I think that's what Forrest are doing. And I don't think they'll be asked to do much more than that. The key for this team is that they finally that's found right. a consistent, you know, core in their starting 11. Like seven or eight yeah. guys with like Froiler, uh, Gibbs White, Brennan Johnson, a consistent back four where they, they've been playing better. So Palace nil, City one. Usually Palace put up, you know, one, at least one of these Palace City games where it's like like a 2-2 draw or something like that. But this year, I, I mean, I guess you could say this game was a, is a nice performance when Palace City needed a, a, a rather fortunate, I should say. Not fortunate that, that it was a penalty because I believe it was a penalty. Fortunate that Elise would kind of just do that and give yeah. them <laughs> this like get out of jail free penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, it, it, they are 12th despite being winless this year, which I guess is kind of crazy all things considered um but of course there are so many teams underneath him that are kind of just like beating themselves up that i guess these performances you know putting up a fight against city probably leads into some nice performances later against worse teams they got arsenal next week which probably doesn't help but um i i think they should comfortably sit in 12th all things considered yeah, it's a miracle that they still are in 12th, really. Yeah. Um, like you said, I was expecting a bit more from Palace just because historically they always seem to put up one good game against City per year. But they really didn't threaten enough for me in this game, and they haven't been for yeah. the entirety of this calendar year. And where previously they were kind of sitting in 12th in a position where they definitely were not a part of the relegation battle, but weren't threatening the top half whatsoever now they're being dragged right back in there they're three points clear of the drop zone so now palace have to 
start looking down downwards instead of up, and that's never a good sign for any club. Certainly not. Moving on to Manchester City, who take all three points in a very sleazy way, should I say. Maybe not so sleazy, but very um in a way that Pep Guardiola will not necessarily pat his players on the back for. Um but they do cause they avoid a costly slip up. They take three points where they need to get three points and when you're in a rel- when you're in a title battle, that is all you can ask for in any given match week. Um but it does seem like these kind of performances will not win them the title over a very steady Arsenal at the moment, especially with the addition of Gabriel Jesus back into the Arsenal team. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest performance from City, but I still think that they controlled the game. May have been good for one more. Holland missed a good chance. Same with uh, Julian Alvarez. Uh, but City, in this, by this point in the season, historically, this is where you know they're judged more by their results and their performances. And what they do best is get results in this like final third of the Premier League season. And that's why... Yeah, they've won the title four out of the last five years. So the three points is really going to be all City care about from now going forward. They'll do it in style sometimes. They'll do it in not so great style sometimes. But if anything, this is a sign of a title winner where it wasn't the best day. 76 minutes on the clock. Maybe you drop points, but they found a way through. And City are going to have to do that many more times this season if they want to retain their title. United nil, Southampton nil, starting off with Manchester United. Obviously, the headline from this match being the Casemiro red card and then the subsequent four-match ban. Let's go back and forth a little bit. Ethan, is it a red card? I think so, yeah. And for studs-up challenges, especially like this one where he does get a piece of the ball first, they can be very controversial. But what I think is that not all studs-up challenges are created equal. I see a lot of people calling for red cards on challenges that don't have very much force, but the cleat is up. So people say, all right, studs-up challenge, it's a red. But it's more about endangering the opponent. There's not too many challenges where you can really go into without putting your studs up in a certain fashion. But... In this scenario, Casemiro almost leaves his feet. Not totally, but yeah. he's running with a lot of force, definitely putting the entire, his entire bodily weight into this challenge. His foot is high and it studs up. Yes. I think this one is a straight red. I agree. And he, he just went into the challenge with a high boot. He came down, his cleat came down on top of the ball rather than through the side of the mm-hmm. ball. If yeah. you want to go studs up, through the side of the ball and get the ball, you'll probably end up with a yellow. But because he came in fly, if you come in flying with your studs up, but your foot's on the ground and you get the ball, you either get away with it because it's all ball or it's a yellow for endangering opponent. I don't think you can argue it either way. It's just the way the ref sees it. This one, he came in flying with his foot over the ball. The only reason his foot hit the ball and went over is because he came from the top. How do you go into a challenge like that, especially a veteran? Like, I know I'm going way over the time right now, but especially a veteran like Casemiro, who makes his living almost off tackles like this. How can you go into a challenge with your stud so high and 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 then argue like, I, did he get the ball? Yes, but it's like you said, it's about danger, endangering the opponent. 
I think it's a red card all the way. I think that there are a lot of challenges like that that have been let go unjustly throughout the Premier League season. And I think that's what Man, Man U fans were mostly arguing about on Twitter. Okay, that was way over the time, but we continue to Southampton, who are absolutely not going down without a fight. They claw a point off of United at Old Trafford, which is not something that many teams can say this season. Um, obviously, for a team like Southampton, this is found money to take a point off of Man United. They were looking to not injure any players and not ruin their goal differential, and now and they came away with a point. So, very successful weekend for Southampton. Did they get a lot of help from a uh, Casemiro red card? Yes, but... They still needed to hold down the fort against a team that can, is more than capable of putting many goals past you, um, <clears throat> even with 10 men. So, yeah, credit to Southampton. Yeah, it was a good performance overall from Southampton. They had a couple threatening chances. Of course, they conceded some as well. Walcott had a great uh, header opportunity that was saved by De Gea. Uh, but they, I'd say they definitely deserved a point from this game, obviously, after the... <laughs> A Casemiro red card, but points like this are extremely valuable, and again, it just keeps them above water. Being in twentieth really isn't the end of the world. In fact, usually, for some reason, in the Prem this season, <laughs> it's a good thing. So, yeah. So Southampton just have to keep the pace, and as long as they can just keep the pace till the fin- until they're at the finish line, all they need yeah. is just yeah you know, one win, one solid result, and they can. You know, just jump out of the relegation zone. So, I'm sure they'll be not happy with where they're at, but doing okay. Satisfied. Yeah. yeah. Um, West Ham won. Aston Villa won. As for West Ham, this draw seems okay on paper. Aston Villa coming to town. Um, maybe you'd like to take three points, but th- this West Ham team... Their football, if you just look at it the way it looks right now, it just seems like they are content with this point. They are content with like a point-per-game pace. They're not looking for 14th or 13th. They're looking for anything better than 17th. So anything 17th or better, like they, they, would take, they would shake your hand and take 17th in a heartbeat right now because their football is not one that's like, we are better than these relegation teams. We can break away from the pack. Their football looks like, oh, like, we're in a relegation battle. Let's play, like, relegation fodder. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look good for West Ham right now. And when you consider that in the summer, there's a good chance they lose Rice. They could lose guys like Ben Rama or Bowen. And even with Rice, they're looking like this. It's not a very good sign. And they're one of those teams that, on paper, don't have have the quality to stay up but i'm honestly just not so confident i'm really not they do not pass the eye test whatsoever uh lester you know at times they can play some really nice free-flowing soccer and that's why i think their quality is going to keep them up but i just haven't been convinced enough from when i've watched west ham this season so they're definitely in peril as for aston villa uh maybe disappointed enough to take all three from a very poor side this season. Currently sitting 11th on uh, <clears throat> two points behind Chelsea on the same amount of games. And if you look at the table, this is more than likely where they'll end up between 10th and 12th. Just because I don't think they're quite as good as the as the field in front of them. Uh, talk about the 
Brightons and the Fulhams. Um, and they're not quite in the like willing to slip into the relegation battle. I think they're just better manager wise and better structurally than than some of these teams like Wolves and stuff that that are falling into this relegation battle. So I think they'll sit kind of just right here in between those two tiers. Yeah, they're eight points clear of Palace in twelfth, and Palace certainly don't look like they're climbing up the table anytime yeah. soon. And they're a couple points behind Chelsea, who are just starting to find their form. So yeah, it does look like they're not going to move too much uh, from the seat to quote Pep Guardiola. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this this was just a pretty average performance from them uh, against a West Ham team that again just doesn't look good whatsoever. Unai Emery would definitely be hoping that he could have gotten more from this game. They definitely have the quality. Ollie Watkins is on fantastic form. He scored like five or six goals in the past six or seven games. Uh, so yeah, uh, Villa, Biv and even That's Steven it. team right now who are yeah. not really in much of a place to go anywhere. But they'll just want to keep playing well. Fulham, nil, Arsenal, three. Arsenal shut out another team in an away London Derby. Starting off with Fulham, though, who, without their centerpiece, Paulinha, um, uh, this game was way, way, way more open than it would have been otherwise. The, uh, Thomas Partey, uh, a guy that teams game plan for because of how well he's playing this season, had just, like, every inch of space he could have ever wanted in that midfield, and it just allowed Arsenal to just rip through him um, for three in the first half. Um, very uncharacteristic performance. Very, very uncharacteristic performance from Fulham. Regardless, win, lose, or draw, they always put up a fight, and this was not that whatsoever. Um, pro- Arsenal were probably good for five or six. So, but li- li- I- I'm going to let you get into it a little bit because you have a little bit of a different perspective on this one. Yeah, like you said, without Paulinho, they were completely lost. I really can't remember Fulham winning any balls in the midfield. They pressed high, but any time Arsenal played through them, they really didn't have any midfield support. Uh, when Trossard and Marinelli dropped deep into midfield, they weren't marking uh, the extra man very well, and that just yeah. led to an overload that Paulinho usually can address much better. But from a Fulham perspective, it'd be really unwise to get hung up on this performance. Arsenal yeah. looked just absolutely unplayable in that first half. They playing with just complete swagger. When the league leaders come to town, it's not often you take points. So with Paulinho coming back next game, Fulham fans should just call this one a write-off. And now to Arsenal, who looked as good as one can look against a Fulham team, again, without Paulinho, but they, they took their chances. Usually when they get into trouble um, against teams like this, it's because they don't take their chances or they're, they're sloppy at the back like they were last week early, but absolutely none of that. Gabriel was fantastic. Saliba was fantastic in the back. Um, all their guys were firing on all cylinders. Odegaard, Trossard, obviously the hat-trick of assists in the first half. There's really not much more you could say about this awesome performance, and it was almost perfect. Yeah, I've said so many times on this podcast about Arsenal's swagger. I said 10 seconds ago, really. Yeah. Uh, but when they just play with that level of confidence that they show against Fulham, 
nobody's gonna compete with them and it was just sheer confidence that every pass they made they just knew it was gonna come off every run they made they knew that everybody around them understood what was going on they i I specifically remember Xhaka missing from just point blank range he could have placed it around leno or gone around him but it was just a beautiful sequence where he let it go through the trossard trossard played back to him i was just screaming not because the result (laughs) wasn't any danger but because yeah chance for just such a beautiful goal and that just summed up Arsenal's performance. Also, want to mention that Gabriel Jesus came back and looked phenomenal, just like his normal yeah. self, where he looks like one of the best players on the planet, but for some reason just can't finish for his life. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I'll take that for another eleven games. Yeah, I'll um, take it. <laughs> moving on to Newcastle two, Wolves one, the ultimate final game of the se- of the match week. Starting off with Newcastle, who took all three points against Wolves at St James. Um, Eddie Howe mixing up a starting 11 with some of these new players back. Isaac, uh, um, Alan St. Maximon, Willick, um, all back in the team. Um, looked a lot more creative with the front line. Um, proved that their recent run of kind of like iffy form is more of a um, <clears throat> one-off rather than the real deal because they were very, very good in the beginning of the season. Uh, offensively and defensively. Recently, they've kind of been relying on their defense to kind of claw out some points, but in this game, uh, it was their offense that got it done. Yeah, I, I'm i not surprised Eddie Howe mixed up his starting 11. They were on a bit of a poor run of form going into this game, and in the City game, like I mentioned last week, when St. Maxima and Isak and Willa came on, they completely changed the game, and that was the case here. They looked much better. Uh, I was surprised definitely to see Almiron on the bench and Almiron came on and scored the winner. So I doubt he's going to be seeing much of the bench <laughs> uh, for the rest of the season. And it's interesting because it's very similar to what happened with Martinelli, where Martinelli started every game uh, of the season That's for nice. Arsenal and then got dropped for the Villa game. And then since then, he scored five goals in five games. And Almiron... Mm-hmm. Dropped for the first time this season against Wolves, comes on and scores the winner. You know, you could be looking at a very similar, you know, redemption arc for Almiron. And last but not least, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Not particularly much to say here. They kept it close, which is, uh, again, at St. James, one of the toughest places to play in the Premier League. Uh, They kept it close, but in the end, weren't of the quality necessary to um, take a point of Newcastle on the day. They've looked better in recent weeks, but um, again, they're part of this 19 mega relegation battle and they kind of need to keep that point per game pace that some of the other um, teams are holding. They currently sit in 13th on 27 games, which is one up on almost every team, but Everton in this bottom nine. So they could be looking at, a, a bottom six place come everybody catching up to 27 so we will see time will tell but they would have liked to especially how late um newcastle left their winner they would have liked to take at least a point here yeah they didn't look bad against newcastle they again like you said just didn't have enough quality to be the side that's you know much better than them they're eight places higher in the table but wolves have looked better in recent weeks they've lost a lot of games marginally but the performances are better and 
if you watch Wolves, you can definitely see that's a lot better than what it was in the first half of the season. And looking ahead, they have Leeds next week. Leeds, who definitely haven't found their feet under new manager Javi Garcia. If they can get three points out of that matchup against another relegation-threatened team, they'll be in a very good position. So, And that will do it. 20 teams up, 20 teams down. Every team gets their moment to be shit on. Um, and with that, we'll move on to some tw- match week 28 coverage. Starting off with our goal picks. If you're unfamiliar with the goal picks competition, it is a season-long competition between me and Ethan where every week we look ahead to the next match week and we pick three players a person that we think are going to score in the next match week the catch is is that the other player can block three players from the other person's choosing so I guess three players Ethan in his back pocket has got three blocks if any of his blocks are players that I chose then he gets to choose that player for me instead of the player that I wanted Ethan give us the update so, my bold strategy of going for the three most obvious picks, Kane, Holland, and you blocked Rashford, but I still got Kane and Holland, certainly worked out because Rashford didn't score this week, but Kane had two and Holland had one. So, three goals for me this week, and one goal for Braden, courtesy of Alexander Isak. He made the bold choice to pick Isak, even though he hadn't been starting, but had faith that he would this game, and that paid off for him. Nonetheless, still a two-goal deficit for him this week. His season total is 16 goals, while mine goes up to 24. All right. Pulling ahead a little bit in that. I, that was the one competition that I was kind of closing the gap, and now it's ballooned back out to eight. Yeah. Let's see if we could change it this week. Ethan, would you like to give me your picks? I would. So, starting off, I'm going to go with Daniel Potence. We just got Oof. done talking about... Uh, about Wolves and how they have a nice matchup this week against Leeds. Uh, I really feel confident about Wolves this week. Again, the performances have been better, passing the eye test, if not necessarily getting the results. Uh, but I think against Leeds, they'll do very well. Potence is a quality player. Doesn't score the most goals, but usually when he scores, they're pretty quality. And I think he'll grab one this week. For my second pick, I'm going to go with Ivan Tony. Uh, he has actually two games this coming match week. Brentford plays Southampton on Wednesday and then Leicester at the weekend. Two very favorable matchups, so you have to believe that he's a surefire bet to score. No pun intended. And then with my third pick, I'm going to go with Bukayo Saka. Arsenal against Crystal Palace. Picking an Arsenal player is always a bit risky. So, just got to kind of hope for the best here. Uh, but yeah, Saka's been great this season. So, if Arsenal at home against Winless Palace this calendar year, seems like a solid pick. <laughs> Who can I have? You can have two of them. Can't have Ivan Tony. No Ivan Tony. Damn. All right. All right. Didn't want you to have that double, double game week. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my turn. First up, my first pick will be Ivan Tony. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping that you didn't go with the same uh, logic that I did to block Ivan Tony, but he does have that double game week, and they are against two very porous defenses. Therefore, like you said, 
I like him to score at least once. Second is Ollie Watkins going against Bournemouth at home. He's been on decent goal scoring form recently, and I'm hoping he's going to continue that this week. And last but not least, I'm going with Izak again. Assuming he gets the start after his goal last week. He's got Nottingham Forest, another porous defense away from home. Who can I have? You can have all three. All righty. Yeah. Good picks in there. Three very solid non-big six uh, goal scoring picks. We had three postponements this week, which included Liverpool, Man City, and United. Yeah. So, again, they're, they're, it narrowed down the options. I'm sure you knew because you had to do some picks mm-hmm. as well. Um, but who'd you, who'd you block? I blocked uh, Felix Kane. And I thought he might be sneaky and go with uh, Gabriel Jesus. I was thinking about being yeah. sneaky and going with Gabriel <laughs> Jesus. But honestly, I don't know if Gabriel Jesus is going to get the start. Yeah. Um. Considering how well the front three of Saka, Martinelli, mm-hmm. and Trossard did last week, so, um, played it more safe. Went with Isaac because I knew he was going to get the start. And with that, we will move on to our match week twenty eight predictions. And usually we go with two games, two prime games going coming up that we pick the scores of. But our hot takes from last week were so good and so spot on. That we're going back and making more hot takes this week until they fail. And I will pass it over to Ethan to make his hot take when he is ready for the upcoming match week. Yeah, so my hot take is Brighton beat Palace, but that's not very hot. So I have a massacre here. Brighton 5, Palace 1. I think that despite the fact that Palace do not have a win this year, they've actually only conceded more than once on two occasions in that time frame against United and Tottenham. So usually, despite not winning, they keep the games low scoring. But I do not see that being the case here. I think Sellers Park is a difficult place to play, but away from home, I think they're just going to be cut apart by this Brighton attack. And Brighton didn't get the win against Leeds this weekend, but still looked really, really good. Uh, Two goals against Leeds previous week. Scored four against West Ham, so Brighton clearly capable of scoring in numbers. Uh, I'm going to say two from McAllister, one from Adam Webster, one from Gross, and one from Matoma. All right. I'll be keeping those near and dear. Make sure those come true. Um, and if they do, we'll have one hell of a TikTok clip. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my hot take for this week is going to be a little bit of a double, a little bit of a parlay, if you will. One, Southampton lose to Brentford. Not a hot take. But not only do Southampton lose to Brentford, but the South, they Southampton lose to Brentford, then go bottom, and then use their 20th place superpowers to then beat Spurs one to nothing. And who does the goal come from other than Theo Walcott, once a gunner, always a gunner, to sink Tottenham Hotspur at St. Mary's. That is my prediction. Not only the loss to Brentford, but they're going to beat Tottenham Hotspur with a Theo Walcott goal. I'm praying. (laughs) We could do an insane double TikTok clip. 100k views if both of those come true. And everybody's going to be listening to the podcast now. Now Palace are are going to win 5-1. Just watch watch it happen. (laughs) We'll see. 
And with that, we'll move on to our closing segment, and I will pass it on to Ethan to tell us more about that. Yeah, so for our closing segment this week, it's going to be a bit of a where are they now quiz, or rather, sure. where were they then? Because <laughs> for this segment, Brayden is going, I'm going to give, <clears throat> I'm going to give Brayden uh, a combination of team slash players, uh, and Brayden is going to have to try and remember where they were by this point last year. So, hmm. so starting off with the first one, Newcastle United. This year, they are in fifth place with 44 points. But where were they in the table last year and with how many points? And you get... Well, I remember them... Go ahead. And how we're going to format this is you're going to guess the where they are in the table first, and then I'll tell you where they actually were, and then you can guess the uh, point total based off that. So I remember them having a late surge last season, the surge that intersected with their beatdown of Arsenal um, that stumbled, that made them eventually stumble and come fifth. Um, I'm not sure how late that surge started. So I'm going to say that it was like the beginning of that surge. I don't think they were quite in the relegation zone. I'm going to go with 15th for Newcastle United. Very close. They were in 14th by this point last year. It was between 14th and 15th. So 44 points this year and in 14th point, in 14th place by this point last year, how many points do you think they were on? Uh, 24. One off again. This time, <laughs> 25 points. So they're 19 points mm. better off this season, or by this point in this season than they were last season. How about that for Eddie Howe? Yeah. What a difference a year Gallo. makes. And for our next team, we have Everton. Okay. I... This year, they are currently in 15th place on 25 points. I, last year, I, they just weren't very good last year either. I don't remember. They, they probably had a couple of runs of form that shot them from like 13th down to 17th and back to 13th. So I'm going to go with, I believe, I'm going to go with like 17th. And you'd be absolutely right. Everton All right. were in 17th place last year. And how many points do you think they were on? They're on 25 points well, this year. If Newcastle was sitting 15th on 25 last year, then I'm going to go with 23. For Everton. They're actually we're also on twenty-five points. So oh, wow. what a difference a year makes or does not make, because Everton are <laughs> two places better, but zero points better off than they were by this point. Sure. And for our final team, we have West Ham United. Right now they're sitting in seventeenth place on twenty-four points. But where were they by this point last year? Well, they had a little bit of a falling out towards the end of the season. Because they were, like, 
definitely in European co- contest for a lot of the season. I'm going to say eighth. Little, little under there. They were in sixth place by this point okay. last year. So sixth place, but how many points? Uh, 43? One off again. 42 Ooh. points. They were at. Okay. So they're 18 okay. points worse off this year. Wow. And like with the almost the same squad, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Not very much has changed. And in fact, their team yeah. on paper has gotten a lot better. So, yeah. And that brings us on to the players we're going to look at. The first one being Erling Holland. And we're going to go, uh, we're going to look at the stats after 24 uh appearances this in the bundesliga yeah because he was actually injured for a lot of the season last year sure so this year after 24 appearances he had 27 goals but how many did he have after 24 appearances in the bundesliga last year 22 holy shit that's exactly right (laughs) (laughs) all right i knew it wasn't like like astronomical like 27 numbers but i knew that he was almost a goal per game so i, I went with 22 yeah so yeah that's exactly right uh 22 goals after 24 appearances so in the premier league the most difficult league to score in on the planet yeah air quotes, air quotes uh beats out his tally in the air quotes farmers league <laughs> by five goals and for the final player in this closing segment, we have none other than Marcus Rashford. Again, we're going to have to oh, adjust boy. for appearances here. So after 25 appearances this year, he, well, he, actually, he's currently on 14 goals. So he, he's only had 26 appearances in the Prem this year, and he, mm-hmm. he didn't score in the most recent one. So 14 goals this year. But after. 25 appearances in the Prem last year. How many goals did he have? <sighs> this is, this could be, I mean, it wasn't like a obviously ridiculously high number. So I'm going to say like s- five. Keeping with the one off uh, pattern we have here. You think he was one over or one below? <laughs> I'm going to say one below. I think he had four. It was four. All right. So four goals for Marcus Rashford. For the entirety of last season. Some of that is due to injury. Some of that is due to being dropped. And look yeah. where he is now. 14. No, he was dreadful last season. Yeah. yeah. So 14 goals and counting this year. What a difference a year makes for him. But not for Everton. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a, what a year. See, what a year a difference makes for a lot of these fucking teams. Like, fucking West Ham. Yeah. Like, they, this is like. With and look, West Ham are more than capable of having. If you look at their squad, they're they're capable of being in the relegation battle. But like, Bowen had like a team of the year performance last season. Like Declan Rice is one of the best sixes, if not like arguably the best six in the league last year. After maybe Rodri, like he was. This team was phenomenal. And all of a sudden, they literally just can't put it together. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, 
Same thing with Newcastle. Same thing with Arsenal. Like they they're completely different teams. Like Arsenal were like Arteta out mode after ten games, clawed it back to to eventually fall down to fifth, and now they're <clears throat> five points clear. So like, yeah, it's the Premier League year after year makes me not believe in pessimism because it could go north or south so quickly. Yep. And with that little ode to the Premier League, we will say goodbye for this week. Match week 28 coming up. Our last match week before the dreaded international break. We'll have some international break podcast festivities, hopefully. Maybe a little little banter-esque podcast in between. See if we can conjure something up. But until then, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.